You're listening to the Clear Creek Resources Podcast from Clear Creek Community Church, located in the Bay Area of Houston. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Clear Creek Resources Podcast. I'm Ryan. You know, we're nearing the end of our series in Revelation, and throughout the book of Revelation, it seems that one of the things that John wants us to take away is that there's a spiritual reality at work where there's angels and demons and God and Satan. And so it brings up some questions about spiritual warfare. What is spiritual warfare, and is it something that we experience today? So on the podcast, I sat down with Bruce Wesley to talk about these questions and to see how does this impact our daily lives. All right, so we're nearing the end of our Revelation series, and throughout this entire study, one of the things that it seems to be apparent that John is trying to communicate is that there's there's more going on than meets the eye. There's something going on beneath the surface. There's a spiritual reality, and that seems to be one of the, the takeaways uh, for us as we read through the uh, the book of Revelation, that there's angels and demons, and there's God and Satan, and all these things are at work. So I thought it would be helpful for us to take an episode of the podcast to talk about what is spiritual warfare, does it show up? in our everyday life. So you get with that, Bruce? Absolutely. I'm glad to be here. All right. So let's start off with some definitions. First, let's talk about what are angels and demons? Okay. Well, I mean, and in the big picture, I mean, they're just two of the players, you know, along with Satan. And then, you know, our, the the trilogy of our enemies are the world, the flesh, and the devil. So, you know, let's put these characters in their proper context. Um, Angels are created spirit beings. Um, and the Bible's really not specific about when they were created or anything like that, but we know that angels uh, are moral beings because uh, they can sin. Uh, matter of fact, some angels did sin. We'll talk about uh, who those people are or who those uh, angels are. And uh, and they are submitted to Jesus, so they worship Jesus. And in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, it says, Angels are ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. So when we read through the Bible, what we see is sometimes angels, even though they're spirit beings, appear so that people can see them. And they're, uh, and sometimes when they're not even seen, uh, they are ministering to or caring for followers of Jesus. So it's kind of a mysterious in in that sense, but that's who angels are. And uh, the interesting thing is we we see how angels uh, fell from heaven, and that's where we get demons. You know, demons were not created by God as demons. They were created by God as angels, but we see in Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 through 9, really this picture of how um, evil evil was created, if you will, because uh, these, these uh, angels sinned against God and they were thrown out of heaven because they can't be in the presence of a holy God. And Revelation kind of gives us the picture of, of how that happened. And so that's where demons came from. All right. And what about Satan? How does Satan fit into all that? Well, he's just the prince of all the demons. Um, and matter of fact, you know, demons are doing Satan's bidding, but Satan was the first one to rebel. And so Satan is mentioned like 29 times in the Gospels alone. So some people want to think that Satan just, you know, doesn't really belong in the conversation. And some people make him way too important in the conversation. Um, what we do see is that Jesus 
you know, address Satan or mention Satan like 25 times in the Gospels. And what we see about him is that he is an adversary, an adversary to God, an adversary to human beings. That's what Satan means, adversary. Um, the name devil means uh, accuser. And so that's one of the things that, that the devil does. Uh, he's also called the prince of demons, the ruler of this world, the god of this world. And there are a lot of other names uh, actually in the New Testament about him too. But the devil or Satan um, we, we see is, according to Jude 6, for instance, uh, sinned against God, rebelled against God. Some kind of speculate that that was because he became jealous of God's love for man and uh, the role that man plays in God's cosmos. And so uh, regardless of why, he rebelled against God and uh, and was cast out of heaven. And he plays this role of, um, of trying to destroy the work of God and destroy people. And so he's a part of our everyday sin, misery, and death. Yeah. All right. Well, I think... So my my le- my next line of question has to do with that. So we're in this spiritual war. You said that uh, it has everything to do with our everyday life. Now we've recently preached on Revelation twenty, and you preached at our Wednesday night campus and our five twenty eight campus. And part of that has uh, somewhat of a controversial passage in there about the millennium. And we we dealt with the millennium in the uh, the end times forum. So if anyone's interested in, in reading more about that, they can. But there's something that's uh, significant within that millennium passage when it comes to the power that Satan has in this world. And so let me read it, and then we'll go through some questions on that. Okay. Uh, Revelation 20, 1 through 3 says, Then I saw an angel come down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil, and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit, and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. So without getting into all the different controversies and way to understand the millennium, what do you think or when do you think the bounding of Satan happened or will it still happen? Yeah, so it, it's really not... We're not able to talk about it apart from the millennium, uh, only in that the, the millennium, um, he was bound for a thousand years, right? So we have to at least include that consideration. Mm-hmm. So the binding of Satan uh, in our understanding of the revelation, and we this is an open-handed kind of perspective for us, but the binding of Satan happened in the, the ministry and the work of Jesus. So it happened in our past that Satan was bound and he was bound at the cross. I mean, what, what we see in the ministry of Jesus is that Jesus introduced his kingdom and his kingdom was already, right? And he says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand and repent, believe the good news. And so this kingdom that Jesus brought was already here. Jesus is the king. He brought his kingdom, but it's not yet here in its fullness. And so what Jesus said in Matthew, I think it's chapter 12, verses um, 28 and 29. He talks about how he's going to bind the strong man and then plunder the strong man's house. Uh, that's the only way that he was able to cast out demons. 
because the Pharisees were saying that he was casting out demons by the power of demons. And Jesus is arguing, nope, it's the it's by the power of the Spirit. And if the Spirit did it, then it's the kingdom has come. And so he, he's painting us this picture then of how Satan was bound then so that the work of Jesus could happen, which is extremely relevant to the interpretation of this text. Because in this text, he tells us specifically what this binding of Satan is. In other words, Satan is not bound here like he doesn't have any power to do anything evil in the world. The text is very clear. It says that he might not deceive the nations any longer. So the binding of Satan in this text is really about him not being able to deceive the nations. And for everyone who struggles with, yeah, but is that really how it happened? It's like, well, okay, think about the nation of Israel had this assignment to, you know, bring the, the goodness of God, the message of, of who God is to the world. How many nations turned to God when Israel was bringing, you know, the, the message? And the answer is zero. I mean, zero. But then Jesus comes, Satan is bound in this sense. And how many nations today have come to the gospel of Jesus, you know, 2.38 billion Christians in the world today. And, uh, you know, I said to our Wednesday night group, I said, you know, the center of Christianity in the world is not the United States of America. I know a lot of Americans think it is, but there are more Christians in China than there are in America. There's more movement of the spirit in South America than there is in North America. And that's no bash on the United States in any way. That's just to say, let's, let's not be deceived into thinking that there is one locus of power uh, where people are coming to faith in Jesus. There's not. It's all over the world. And I think it's because of the truth of this text. Okay. So it's not so much about the presence of evil in the world, that even though Satan is bound in a sense, that evil can still happen. Because that would be probably one of the main arguments that people would say that, oh, we must not be in the millennium because the millennium includes Satan being bound and there's so much evil in the world. And so- Yeah, and I, I would agree wholeheartedly. I mean, if, if that's what this binding means, then that can't be what this text means. Mm -hmm. Because obviously, I mean, there's so much evil in the world and people say, well, maybe the world's getting better. It's like, no, I mean, I think it looks darker, but I, I mean, I don't know how, how to compare that really. But here's what Hebrews 2.14 says. It says about Jesus, it says, through death, he rendered him who had the power of death, even the devil. So we know that in the work of Jesus on the cross, Jesus refers to this in John 12 as, as well. He, you know, he says, now is the ruler of you know, the ruler of the world is being cast out. Uh, and then he talked about how when he's lifted up, he'll draw all men to himself. And the very next verse says, he said this about his manner of death. In other words, it was at the cross that Jesus was saying, that's when the ruler of this earth is going to be cast out. So point being, um, Satan was bound at the cross. Is he bound from bringing any evil in the world? Obviously not but he is bound from stopping the spread of the gospel in the world. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. 
Well, I think you even mentioned in your your message is like a mob boss, you know, in in yeah, jail, you know, exactly. still, still making calls, you know, still making things yeah. happen, even if he is bound up. So. I think I got that from Daryl Johnson or yeah. maybe Matt Chandler. I don't know. Yeah, something like that. All right. Uh, so well, let's talk about today. So throughout the Bible, we see uh, Jesus interacting with and talking about demons, uh, but it doesn't seem as something that is maybe as prevalent today. But what about today? I mean, are there still demons today? Is there still spiritual warfare going on? Yeah. You know, I, I think when people ask this question, you've got to understand that to believe otherwise really undermines our own faith because it it calls into question the veracity of Scripture. Obviously, the Scripture says, yeah, demons exist, and it calls into question whether Jesus knew what he was talking about, right? Because Jesus obviously believed in Satan and he believed in, in demons. Uh, and so the nature of the spirit world hadn't changed uh, in the sense that you know, there are still demons, there are still angels, Satan still exists, you know, and uh, God's still on the move uh, in the world. So, yeah, definitely there are demons that exist today. Is that something that we need to be worried about? Um, as followers of Jesus, worried, no, but aware, absolutely. Uh, you know, if you look in First Peter, for instance, in, in chapter 5, there's that verse 8 that says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And the whole text, because, you know, I, I bring this up, Ryan, because it makes it, um, it we, we understand why we need to be so watchful. Because it starts out by saying, uh, verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. And then he says, be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary, the devil. You know? So it it's, seems like um, we're at risk in pride and anxiety that we might be unaware of what the enemy might be trying to do. And so we should be extra careful uh, in those times. And then after that, he says, after he tells us that you know the evil one's looking for someone to devour, he says, resist him firm in your faith. And then he says, because, you know, all your brothers in the world are facing the same thing. So uh, we, we don't need to be worried, but we need to be watchful because we need to be sure we're going to resist him. And when we resist him, he, he flees from us. You know, I, uh, I think it's interesting how, how the enemy kind of works in our lives. You know, um, I like to, to say he... He may be looking for us, but he's not going to, it's not like the big gunslinger gunfight, you know, where he's going to meet us out in the middle of the dirt road, uh, at the middle of the road, and it's going to be like draw, you know, we're going to be in this mm -hmm. big fight. Um, actually, we don't need to be worried, but we need to be watchful because when we're not paying attention or we're not taking care of our spiritual house, um, that's when we're going to be most vulnerable. You know, I... I think of it like, have you ever seen those people who are, uh, what, do you, what do you call the folks that keep a lot of stuff all around them all the time? Hoarders. Hoarders, there yeah. we go. Hoarders and people who don't take care of their house and stuff. And, you know, I think it's like they're going to get mold and maggots and mice because they didn't take care of business, right? Hmm. So should we be worried about mold and maggots and mice? Well, if, if you're cleaning your house, 
you don't even have to think about that really much, right? I mean, every now and then, maybe a little something, but n- not a whole lot. And uh, spiritual warfare is kind of like that too. It includes this this discipline in our life where we're making sure that we are uh, resisting the devil, we're submitting to God, we're humble before Him, we're taking our anxieties to Him. All of these things are are why we need to be watchful, but not worried. Hmm. I think one question that people might have even just thinking about that is, I mean, can Christians be possessed by a demon? Like, is that one of the things that people need to be watchful of? Yeah. Uh, well, I think that's a good question. I think we have to understand the very nature of spiritual life. You know, in the nature of spiritual life, when a person becomes a Christian, God's spirit comes to dwell in us. And so we were an empty house that's now full, right? We we have the Spirit of God, who is God Himself, dwelling in us, and so we're already possessed. You know, that's what the filling of the Spirit is. We're people possessed by another spirit. Um, and so, I don't think we have to be worried about being possessed by the Holy uh, by a demonic spirit. First uh, John chapter five verse eighteen is uh, speaking of the one who's born of God, and it says, uh, "And the evil one does not touch him." And the word touch there means to, to grasp so as to detain someone. I mean, you know, he, he, he doesn't touch us in a way that he can't detain us, but he can't affect us. He just can't possess our lives. Mm-hmm. So what about you? Have you had experiences where you were just acutely aware of the spiritual warfare or the spiritual reality of what was going on? around you like you felt like oh man what i'm doing right now feels like it is against what satan's trying to do in the world or in my life and i'm you know and i'm 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 prepared for that i know what's happening yeah i mean i want to answer that two ways one is because of what i believe it's every day i mean I, i'm keenly aware that every day we are in a spiritual battle um but I mean, I think your question really is, have I felt that sense? And and definitely, you know, I feel that sense uh, of battle sometimes in services where I'm preaching. Um, it feels like what I'm trying to talk about is uh, I'm facing some resistance of some kind. And I don't mean to get all mystical about that. I just mean it seems hard. It seems like people are uh, having a hard time embracing what I'm talking about. Um, or when I share the gospel, you know, what's crazy is that if, if I feel a whole lot of distraction in the room and it comes right at the time when I'm talking about what grace really is or what Jesus has done for us or how it is that someone can place their faith in Jesus, then I think, yeah, this could be more of like a, an effort by the enemy to, um, to keep people from from hearing the gospel. So if like a baby is crying in the service, he would be like, Man, get I, behind me, Satan. <laughs> that's right. Deal with that demon. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, I, and I really don't think that way, honestly. Yeah, yeah. But I do think, I do think that uh, the enemy is at work in distractions to keep people from, from hearing the gospel. I think another place that we see that is... When we, when we see what's going on in the lives of people as, uh, or people around us, situations around us that we know are evil. So um, those, those situations, bitterness, unforgiveness, division, someone who's, uh, who just won't hear the truth. They're just totally unreasonable about 
maybe a reconciling a relationship or someone trying to explain themselves. It's like all of those really are, they get down to kind of the, the very things that Satan is about, what spiritual warfare is about. I mean, that's the outcome he would want. Uh, and so in those times, I think, yeah, this is, this is more than flesh and blood. This is spiritual. I definitely can sense that or you know feel that you know, you talking to somebody um, who is just I mean it's almost like there's like a stronghold or something there's something that's really preventing them from being able to either repent from sin or understand the gospel or some way and then I you know you almost see that in yourself it's not like oh that's just they're dealing with that and I can't even relate to it you just see the the capacity for the human heart to be deceived and you know, almost mm-hmm. hard-hearted towards things. And yeah. you just think, wow, there, there's more than just our our human effort to be able to say, no, I can get that, or I, I can repent to that. There's there's something else in there. Which, you know, it makes me think of that passage that says, you know, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So it begins with submitting to God. Hmm. So if, if, if in, like in the situation you're talking about, if someone's not submitting to God and humbling themselves before God, I embrace what the Lord wants here in this relationship or what I need to own in terms of my own wrongdoing here. Um, that's all submitting to God. You know, that's the humbling of ourselves. Uh, unless that happens, you, you can't really move beyond that. Hmm. You can't resist the devil if you're not submitted to God. Yeah. All right. So you touched on this a little bit, but how does how does Satan make war on us? Yeah, well, um, there's, a, there's a passage in... In 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 2, verse 11, I want to read it to you. It says, uh, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are, a, are not ignorant of his designs. So the Apostle Paul is really, uh, he's responding to, you know, how sometimes people have to forgive someone who's, who's sinned. And uh, if we're unwilling to do that, you know, then we're being ignorant of, of the enemy's designs or, or his schemes is what some translations say. Um, and I, I find it somewhat humorous because I think sometimes we are ignorant of his schemes. The apostle Paul wasn't ignorant of his schemes, but I think we sometimes are, but I don't think we have to be. Uh, point being, Satan has some some normal, natural things that he does, right? I mean, these are the things that he's constantly trying to do with us. And so what are some of those things? Uh, The first thing is he's deceitful, right? He's the the liar. Um, In John chapter eight, it says that he is the liar and the father of all lies and everyone who follows him uh, only hears lies. They they won't uh, hear the truth from people. And so um, when we believe lies, we are succumbing to his attack, his way of warring against us. Uh, another thing is division. You know, always what Satan wants to do is create division. He, he, that's what he did in heaven, right? That's when he rebelled against God. He tried to create division between the, the angels of heaven and they were cast out of heaven. And that's exactly what he does at all times. He's, he tries to create division in marriages, divisions in the workplace, you know, divisions among Christians. I mean, that's when we know Satan's at work in a church. If it's creating divisions in a church, you can just know, okay, this is spiritual warfare. This is the enemy against us. And, uh, and discouragement. I mean, think about uh, Satan is the accuser of the brethren. That's language that, that the Bible uses about him. So he accuses us even though we're forgiven. He tries to 
cause us to think about ourselves in a way where it was filled with shame all the time and not uh, believing our new identity in Christ, not believing that we are sons of God, that God loves us and wants good for us. And so the more we can believe the condemnation uh, about our own, that our own sin should bring to us, the happier Satan is, right? Because he just wants to discourage us all the time. So those are just some real surface, but constant kinds of ways he tries to, to make war on us and to oppress us. So earlier you mentioned that um, w- within us and all this conversation, there's the the flesh, the world, and the devil. And so even in some of those examples you gave about uh, disunity and things like that, how do you discern w- which of those things are at play or how all three of them are? Like, is this, oh, Satan's creating this disunity or is it really just my own flesh? It's my own yeah. sin that I need to deal with. Or maybe it's the world around us, you know? Right, I think that those things are inextricably connected. I think uh, we do well to remember our enemy is the world, the flesh, and the devil. So the world we're talking about, this world system, it's just the way things are in our culture, for instance. That's a world system. Uh, our flesh are these patterns of family life, for instance, or patterns of thinking, you know, generational sins. Um, so if you're... If in your home, uh, you know, there was always a lot of screaming and hollering or in your home, never, people never address problems, you know, that those are flesh patterns that develop in us if we don't address problems. So the enemy may be at work in that, but it's really this deep seated flesh problem as well as, you know, the pressures of the world to always look good and make make sure everything's great or to uh, feel like you have peace in your home all the time. So if anyone's got any turmoil in their home, something's dramatically wrong. So that, that would be a world system kind of influence. And of course, the, the devil's at work there to stir all that stuff up. So I don't think we have to parse out where the struggle's coming from. We just need to be aware that all of these things are working at concert uh, with the enemy really being behind it. And maybe not Satan personally, you know, because there's one devil, right? Uh, but his ways, his his influence on us in the world are at play. Yeah. I think, I think people can relate to the flesh, certainly the world. I still think the devil is probably a little bit fuzzy for them. And so even just thinking about like... W- in your opinion, this is probably not a, a Bible question, but your, in your opinion, why does it seem that the devil or demonic activity is not as apparent in our world today? Yeah, I think that's uh, that, that question has some assumptions that it's not as apparent as, as it was then, because I, I'm not sure it's, it's not uh, as apparent. We think it's not apparent because when we read our Bible, we see manifestations of the demonic, but Satan never wants to make himself known. I mean, if, if he can, if he can make it seem like he's not around, he can do all of his work uninterrupted, right? But when Jesus walked onto the scene and someone's being oppressed by a demon, the demon made it known. It wasn't like Jesus had to go call that demon out. Typically, it was the demon that called out Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, Jesus, I thought we were going to have more time. I, I didn't know you were coming right now. Is it now that you're going to you know, throw us in the pit or whatever? And uh, so, I mean, when you read those texts in the Bible where there's this, de- the demonic is made known, it seems like it was just the presence of Jesus that called that out. Uh, Satan himself, though, would seem to be 
one that wants everything to be, be flying under the radar. And uh, there are cultures, let's be fair, there are you know, animistic kind of cultures where the spectacular, the spiritually spectacular is a part of the culture. And if, um, you know, the enemy is both a scarecrow and a scaredy cat, you know, he's a scarecrow and then he can't hurt us if we are, if we belong to God, but he can scare us, you know, but he can't hurt us. Uh, and then he's a scaredy cat in that if, the Bible says, if you resist him, he will run, you know? I mean, it doesn't take a whole lot. Just resist him. You don't have to beat him. You don't have to know everything. You just resist him. I submit to God, I resist the devil. He he runs away from me. So all that to say, I think think we don't see him because he didn't want us to see him. And because we want to look like we have it all together. And we just don't want to acknowledge that Spiritual warfare is a part of our everyday struggle. Hmm. All right. So if it is part of our everyday struggle, what does the Bible say is our defense against it? And what are, what are the, the tools of our, I guess, our offense, our yeah. weapons? Against yeah, that's it? a great question. And I think it, it's wise to think of it as an offense rather than just a defense. If you think about what Jesus said about the church, he said, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In other words, the church is on the offensive and the enemy is on the defensive because that's what gates are for. They're defensive mechanisms, right? So, uh, so I think that's a good way to think about it. I read an article by David Pallison. He's gone now, but David Pallison is this brilliant counselor, but he's also a theologian. And I want to give you... Um, just a, a quote out of this article. The article was called Stand Up to the Powers of Darkness. And uh, I love this, this statement that he makes because it so appropriately normalizes uh, spiritual warfare. He says, spiritual warfare is a moral struggle. It is the conflict over who you are, what you believe, and how you live. Our sufferings, whatever whatever their form or cause, provide occasions either to stumble into darkness or to stand in the light. Our warfare is over which it will be. Wow. I mean, it's this powerful picture of just saying, listen, this is really normal stuff. This is the struggle that goes on you all the time. And when an occasion comes into your life and you are suffering or struggling in some way, you're going to choose. Am I going to run into the darkness lean into the light, that is spiritual warfare. And he uses the illustration of how Satan instigated the death of Job's children, the loss of his wealth, uh, the disease that racked his body, you know, even his complaining wife, all of this stuff was instigated by, by Satan. But what the book of Job is about is about whether or not Job is going to believe God in his own soul. Is he going to maintain his faith? That's what spiritual warfare is. So spiritual warfare is a synonym. This is David Pallison's statement. Spiritual warfare is a synonym for the struggles of the Christian life. Boom. I love that. I mean, that's what it is. It's just struggles for the Christian life. You want to live like a Christian? You want to follow Jesus? You are choosing spiritual warfare. It is not all this spectacular uh, kind of behavior or you have to be around, you know, someone who's going to call out demons. And that, that's not the heart of spiritual warfare. The heart of spiritual warfare is to choose to follow Jesus each day in the midst of all the struggles and the sufferings of our life. So I know there's more to it than that. Yeah. 
That's good. All right. So what would you say to someone to encourage them if they hear all this stuff about, you know, demons and things like that? Like, you you know, the the Christian life is a spiritual war that you are battling in. I mean, how would you encourage them to to think about some of these things? Yeah, I would would think that there are some passages in the Bible that are clearer than others about how we can engage in spiritual warfare. Um, And... Ephesians chapter six is clearly one of those things because, you know, he talks about putting on the whole armor of God and then he tells us what the armor of God really is and uh, that this is how we resist the devil. And um, so it'd probably be good for me to point out a few of the things that passage talks about. Uh, First of all, when he talks about the armor of God, he it's not just defensive armor. I mean, the language that's used there really points out kind of this complete weaponry. Uh, the, the language armor of God could be translated the complete weaponry. So, mm-hmm. you know, because it sounds like it's all defensive kind of stuff, right? And uh, so what, what does he tell us to do? He tells us to put on the belt of truth, for instance. So this is just so normal. He's just saying, be a person of truth. Because the devil's a liar. And if you believe a lie or you, um, you traffic in deception, you are just opening yourself up to spiritual darkness. So put on the belt of truth. He says we should have our, our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Or to, you know, just to have shoes that are about the gospel of peace. So what is that about? Well, the gospel of peace is that. It's about reconciliation. It's about living in reconciled relationships with people and with God and helping people reconcile relationships with others and with God. And when we do that, that's spiritual warfare because the enemies want to divide and this is God's work of reconciling people. Again, you can see that's an offensive weapon in this spiritual warfare. There's the shield of faith, which, um, you know, the shield of faith we raise because the enemy comes at us with his lies and with his schemes and his accusations and his divisions, and we just believe God instead. It's literally, I mean, faith is just saying, I believe God instead. There's the helmet of salvation, which is to understand, some people want to make that about the mental side of this, and and definitely spiritual formation has, a, or spiritual warfare has a lot to do with that. Because if we look into 2 Corinthians chapter 5, for instance, when it says that we're fighting the enemy, we're, we're coming against uh, thoughts that are raised up against the knowledge of God, right? But that's not really what this is about, I think. I think this is about more, this helmet of salvation is that we see Jesus as the saving one. We, we need the savior. We need a salvation. We don't need a technique. We don't need uh, habits that make us better. We need saving. And so without a helmet, I'm not ready to fight. Without a savior, I'm done, right? This is essential. And then there's the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Um, and I don't think you, you can't have any spiritual warfare if you're not rich in the scripture, Right? I mean, we, we pray through the scripture, we read through the scripture, we converse in the scripture, we worship from the scripture. It is, you know, it's all about uh, scripture. And then in Ephesians 6, he, he focuses on our praying. We pray at all times, um, we, how we pray for others, and we pray for one another, or for ourselves uh, as well. 
And so <clears throat> if I were to boil all of that down, all this imagery down, it'd just be, you know, we draw near to God and to people. We worship God regularly. We're in the scriptures constantly. We make peace in our relationships with people when, when things are broken, and we help others make peace. And in all these things, it's a very practical understanding of we're entering into a kind of spiritual warfare that is allowing the gospel of Jesus and Jesus himself to have uh, his rightful place uh, in our lives. Hmm. Yeah, and I even just think about the, the verse that's right before all the armor to kind of help people get into a different mindset of the world that they're living in. You know, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, mm -hmm. against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so you think, wow, okay, there's more going on. And then you think about um, just the armor of God and, and what does it now look like in our everyday life to, to face all those things. Yeah. Um, in real practical ways. You know, if we would just embrace the fact that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, hmm. you know, th then we wouldn't be so mad at our spouse or our ex-spouse or our, ch our kids or our neighbor. You know, it's like, you know, really, that's, that's not the big struggle in our lives. The big struggle is bigger than that. The, the world of flesh and the devil are at work in me and in them. And so, yeah, it's, this struggle is bigger than that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, especially if you look at what goes on in our world today, what goes on in churches today and disunity and things like that, to, to even approach some of those issues that there is more going on beneath the surface, that yeah. there's a spiritual component to the division and the, the anger and the things that just come out of people. You think, gosh, there, there's, there's got to be something more than, than what meets the eye here. You know, and even if we doubted that for a second, just... Just give energy to spiritual warfare and see if if you don't change, you know, because uh, it, we may not immediately see everything change. But I think for me, when when I get clear headed about this, you know, sober minded, be vigilant. You're watching because you're the enemy is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Uh, when I'm paying attention, it does make all the difference in the world uh, in my own heart, you know. Uh, Pallison in this article, I want to share one other thing uh, about it. He says, how do you know if you win the war or even the battle in, in spiritual warfare? Because I think that's interesting. Because, uh, you know, we can say we, we fight spiritual warfare, but how do you know if you win? And this is a quote. He says, to lose spiritual warfare is to pursue your former manner of life that is corrupt by evil desires. It means to live in the unfruitful works of darkness. So be encouraged if you just haven't gone back. You haven't gone back to life before Jesus or to trying to pursue some sense of wholeness apart from Jesus um, and continue to lean in, you know, to, um, to submit to God and resist the devil and he'll flee from you. All right, any final encouragement as we think about spiritual warfare in our everyday life? You know, when I think about spiritual warfare, I'm, I'm aware that for a lot of people, they even avoid the topic because they've been more informed by movies than they have by the Bible. And so it's always these spectacular, weird kinds of, you know, exorcism 
uh, kind of things going on. And that's really, it's so tragic. So I, I guess my word would be, uh, don't watch those kind of movies or definitely don't think that those kind of movies have any root in reality or truth. And, uh, and I always urge people, you know, place your faith in Jesus. I mean, really trust in Jesus. Remember, it was Jesus on the cross when, who said, now is the prince of this world cast out. Jesus said that he would bind the strong man and he would plunder his house. We have a helmet of salvation because we need a savior that is going to help us in this struggle. So place your faith in Jesus. That's where our hope really is. Uh, And then finally, 1 John 4, 4, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. If you're a follower of Jesus, then you have his spirit and he's greater than any other spirit in this world. Hmm. That's good. Good word. All right. Well, thanks for being on the podcast again. Absolutely, Ryan. Thank you. Thank you.